Hello and welcome to the special Dry Bones Ministries podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. I'm Father Adam Potter, and today we reflect on the 25th letter, the same old thing. The same old thing. I looked at that title as I started to read, and I thought, that seems really weird or odd. And yet diving into the letter, of course, it becomes very apparent, oh, This hits really close to home for many people in our world, many people, maybe even ourselves, you know, uh, a temptation to always look for the next thing or the new thing or the shinier thing. Uh, Yeah, so let's dive into this letter and just, as always, ask for an open heart to see how the Lord's inviting us to really find growth and maturity and ultimately freedom to be completely available to him. Screwtape opens up this letter with concern that Wormwood's patient has fallen into a dangerous living out of a faith that is merely Christian. I don't know about for you, but for my ears, that has a negative connotation, but this is meant, that term merely Christian, but this is meant in a positive sense of the core or substance of Christianity. In comparison, what Screwtape desires is the state of Christianity and. Christianity and this, Christianity and that. So, were there any examples in this opening paragraph that rang true? Christianity and the crisis. Christianity and the new psychology. Christianity and the new order. Christianity and faith healing. Christianity and psychical research. Christianity and vegetarianism, Christianity and spelling reform. <laughs> I guess a little bit ridiculous there, um, but you can, gosh, a lot of those hopefully ring true. I don't know just how unstable our world is today. That first one, Christianity and the crisis. Just think about whew, how many crises there are in our church, in our families, in our world, or in our politics and like that Christianity would be associated with dealing with this crisis or fighting that or fighting that. And yeah, how easy is it for us to get away from the gospel, the charisma, Jesus Christ, who loved us enough to come and to save us from our sins. And instead that we might fall into uh, looking for this other aspect of it to get back to the mere Christianity. What is it at its core, that charisma? Screwtape says, if they must be Christians, let them at least be Christian with a difference. This is like just an interesting theme that travels throughout the whole book. It's the special type of Christianity or this emphasis here. And so I think this is a really important emphasis for us to take to heart and just to allow our end, our goal, our purpose to be Jesus Christ. It does not mean that we can't have different focuses or emphases or uh, any other like ministries that kind of, you know, allow us to go out, but they are not the end in itself. The end is glorify God and winning souls to Jesus Christ. Um, So yeah, hopefully that helps and can be challenging too. In the second paragraph, we see the screw tape says uh, and introduces the idea of the same old thing but even calls it the horror of the same old thing. 
is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart, an endless source of heresies in religion, folly in counsel, infidelity in marriage, and inconstancy in friendship. End quote. So, gosh, we see this, the horror of the same old thing. It all comes from, again, this idea of being in time. And to be into time, being in time is necessarily to change. And we need this. And Screwtape even says that God has made, made changing pleasurable. Do we know this? Can we think of any examples of how changing can be pleasurable? I don't know, just thinking about different times I've gotten in a rut, gotten stuck, and to be able to to go for a walk or to be able to ask somebody and just kind of change it up all of a sudden brings a new perspective and that brings a joy to it, you know? Uh, thinking about how going through school, there's a joy, a pleasure from graduating and moving on to the next course, the next challenge. Uh, change is great even in my own, uh, I guess, physical sense of being able to grow and get stronger in my mind to be able to set my my mind to something and to learn and to grow and have my my way of thinking changing and then to be able to share that like all of that is very pleasurable right to be able to grow and expand and mature so yeah i think we we realize that god made it this way the pitfall is to not make change an end or a goal in itself and here's where in the wonder the wondrous way that God made us and made this world, he made change not only pleasurable, but he also made stability and permanence pleasurable as well. Can you think of examples like this? Gosh, it's really nice to be able to have a, a home that is stable where mom and dad are there, my siblings are there, where uh, we don't just pick up and move every couple of years. I have a home that I know I can come back to. I have a, a room or a bed or a, I don't know, a nook where I just like, yeah, I'm home. That kind of thing. Just like friendships, you know, that can be really great as opposed to always having a new set of group of friends or relationships to have like that core group that just knows me and has been with. That's just super comforting too. Um so we, we kind of know that there's these two things that are both enjoyable. And God made it that way, that there would actually be a, a tension, a rhythm, or a, a cycle. So some of the examples are the different seasons. Notice there's this tension. It's the same four seasons uh, of, of going through. I was hesitating, like thinking I would forget one. Uh the fall and then winter and then spring and then summer and repeat. And it's the same, right? There's like that permanence, but there's the change like, ah, oh, it's spring again and it's a new spring or it's a new summer. Uh, thinking about this in the liturgical season, Advent, how many times have we gone through Advent? And yet every single time that November comes around into December, I'm looking forward to it so that I can prepare for Christmas. Uh, just to say in general about the liturgy, I just love that the mass on the one hand is so stinking familiar. I know it. I know the order and I know the, uh, how to prepare, how to enter in what's going to happen. And at the same time, there's just enough variability with the readings, with the prayers, and even the hymns and the chants that can all lead to 
in all reality, a very different sense of, of worship. And I think a liturgy, a celebration of worship that's done well, allows for the, there to be this stability, this permanence, while still allowing there to be a very novel experience of new hymns or new readings, new prayers that can really bring us to a deeper sense of this same mystery of our salvation at the, at the Holy Mass. As we move on to paragraph three, we see that Screwtape acknowledges that just as the pleasure of eating is picked out and exaggerated to produce the sin of gluttony, so the pleasure of change is picked out and exaggerated to produce the sin of absolute novelty. Okay, so here's the tactic, right? Here's the looking at the film of our enemy, of the evil one of the demons, how they take advantage of what's good, that change is good, but it's picked out and exaggerated to this absolute level. Can we look around at our world today and see if we've fallen into this in our society of always needing to keep things changing, always needing the next thing, the next phone, the next show? What am I going to binge next? What's the next newest, latest clothing or fashion? Or what's the next relationship, the next this, the next, where you get the idea. And what was pointed out in the reading was that this actually brings us into an unrhythmical reality. I think that's a word. Maybe it's just British. Unrhythmical, right? That it actually brings about more of a chaos whenever everything is constantly changing, being turned over. We're always moving. We're always on to the next thing, a new thing, the shinier thing. And that actually rips us out of what is also really good for us in a sense of permanence. I've heard it said that um, kind of in, in this spirit, echoing back to what we just talked about, this is where even in our political world, we've so demonized the the extremes of conservatism and progressivism and just seeing like our side is good and the other side is evil when in reality, both sides really need each other. The, this conservatism to like hold on to these principles, these values as being unchanging and needing to really stay true to who we are so that we don't get lost... That's really important and really crucial. And yet at the same time, if we only stick to the same path, the same way that we've always gone, what happens whenever the landscape is shifted out from under us, whenever that same path is now washed away by a flood, just given the the new circumstances, and, and we actually need a more progressive liberal mentality to be able to adapt and to change and to see new ways of looking at things while not <laughs> abandoning what's uh, also, these principles that are true, um, and being able to always see uh, see what what pitfalls, what blind spots we might have, and so, and the ideal, right? Like that we would we would be balancing each other out in the progressive and the liberal sides, and yet, gosh, we are far from that right now. Talk about being unrhythmical. Yeah, it is chaotic. It is messy. And as we've gone in the U.S. just from one political party to the other is it is a rough transition where we are all just a bit seasick to say the least Uh, in paragraph four we find out why this demand for constant change is valuable to screw tape and the demons here are four reasons that i was able to pick out from this paragraph first it diminishes pleasure 
while increasing desire. So the more that I, the more that I change, the, the more that I want it, the more that I want it. But the more that I change, I actually get less of that pleasure, of that enjoyment. And so I need to do it more and more and more. This is called the law of diminishing returns, where adding the same unit of, of pleasure or the same unit of change um, brings about less enjoyment, less pleasure. Interestingly, scripture really speaks to this and warns us of this, this constant need to change. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never fail you nor forsake you. So that spirit of contentedness, right, is what um, this verse is getting at, to be content with what we have and not always needing more money, more this, more that. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13 says this, Not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And then notice how how he goes on to the different extremes. On the one hand, I know how to be abased, right? To be in the total depths of just real suffering and being stripped of all resources and comforts. On the other hand, I know how to abound. I know how to have a surplus of resources and wealth and security, comforts, all these things. But he says, in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. What is that secret? He says, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Right? That it is Jesus Christ to have that relationship that allows us to find contentment and whether I'm in abundance or abasement. Lord, give us greater contentment and a greater clinging to you to really provide for us. The second uh, aspect of this is that continued novelty costs money. And this would lead to the sin of avarice or greed or unhappiness or both, he says, which is just, gosh, yeah, looking for more change. I just need more resources to be able to keep this change going. This is a bad habit. Uh, Timothy writes about this. First Timothy 6, 6 to 10. Quote, there is a great gain in godliness with contentment. We're back to this theme. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced their hearts with many pangs. End quote. There's the warning, right? There's the warning. Money, not bad in itself. But the love and the pursuit of money for this constant desire to to need to change and to mix things up can lead us into wandering far from the Lord and relying on ourselves instead of him. The third aspect is that it's a gateway, so to speak, from the innocent desires of change to other sources of pleasure that God forbids. So I start off just looking for change, mixing it up a little bit. 
But then that pleasure, that enjoyment brings me to uh, give in to things that I never thought I would do. We'll kind of get to this in the, um, the last paragraph of this letter. Finally, he says, it's indispensable for producing fashions or vogues. Fashions or vogues. Why is this important? Well, in paragraph five, he tells us that fashions and thought distract the intent, attention of men from their real dangers. He says, quote, we direct the fashionable outcry of each generation against those vices of which it is least in danger and fix its approval on the virtue nearest to that vice which we are trying to make endemic, end quote. So I think we, I think we get this right. The, that was a big quote. I had to read it just a, a second or third time to make sure I had it right. That the idea would make for what's fashionable um, to like really be against. We need to be warning against this or that to actually be so close to the very vice that that generation is giving into so that the, the vice can really take off and explode. So I was thinking about some examples in our own world and then realized C.S. Lewis just kind of gave us some. So do these ring true at all? First, he said, expose the dangers of enthusiasm at the very moment they're all really becoming worldly or lukewarm. So that you would have this uh, spirit of Watch out. We don't want to be too enthusiastic. We don't want to be too radical. We don't want to be too uh, over the top with this. And so allow that to be fashionable when what's going on in the world is that everyone's becoming very lukewarm and different and just giving into the comforts of the world. So you see how that would just like allow for a great like virtue signaling to like we're against being too radical or too enthusiastic when what's needed most there's a real enthusiasm for what's true and what's good and for the Lord. He then says, a century later, when everyone is Byronic and drunk with emotion, I had to look up Byronic, and it's kind of connected to these heroes. So Byronic heroes are marked not only by their outright rejection of traditional heroic virtues. So whatever used to be heroic, this is a rejection of that. And their remarkable intelligence and cunning. They have strong feelings of affection and hatred. They're impulsive. They have strong sensual desires. They're moody. They're cynical. They have dark humor and morbid sensibilities. So this is really an anti-hero, right? So this idea of one who is drunk with emotion, always giving into their desires, they're impulsive. So at this time, this is kind of like the spirit that's that everyone's engaging in. Then we want to make, says Screwtape, fashionable, this outcry directed against the dangers of the mere understanding. So do you get that? That we would be understanding of a really dark, impulsive and cynical personality would go directly to give into that vice that can rip us apart. We need to be understanding, right? We need to be understanding to their impulsivity or where they're coming from. We need to listen to them. It's like, no, no, we need to call them out to real heroic virtue and uh, living the right way. So hopefully that makes sense. I think there's plenty of examples in our world today with just how popular virtue signaling is that in a way can just go to give in and exploit all of our lack of authentic virtue and real 
our real ability to see the other person, to understand what's going on, and to actually respond in a way that's most needed for those who are being overlooked, those who are not being taken care of, and who who needs to really be uh, called out to live rightly. Our last paragraph is the sixth paragraph, and Screwtape says that the greatest horror of all is to elevate this horror of the same old thing into a philosophy so that nonsense in the intellect may reinforce corruption in the will. What does that look like? It sounds to me like the idea of progressivism. It's a philosophy that's grounded in the understanding that things are good as long as we're moving forward. Where's forward? Don't worry about it, right? It would just include knowing the historical trends and wanting to be a part of a movement and going somewhere. Where? It's like, don't worry about it. Just as long as we're moving. It, um, do you see the danger? That there's no moral framework of truth. And therefore, to keep the individual from asking big questions is really important, right? Don't let them ask, is this right or wrong? Is this good for the human person? Does this cultivate virtue? But instead, get them asking those questions like, is it in accordance with the general movement of our time? Is it progressive or reactionary? Is this the way that history is going? I think about our society right now, and just how whenever something happens, uh, in the world and sports or in, uh, with like celebrities and stuff, the, the immediate response is almost always calibrated to what's acceptable. What's everyone else saying? What's everyone else thinking? And so to be able to respond strongly, passionately, but also in a way that is very politically correct, <laughs> that everyone a- acknowledges, we can say this, we can keep, um, pushing this idea up because this is the general trend that that we're moving and in, just in case that we don't know where we're going as long as the majority are going with us then we can say this and then we can uh keep keep moving in this dangerous direction that we don't know where we're going but we're moving so that's progressivism how dangerous is it well here's this last quote that i'll i'll read i just thought it was said whatever i was gonna say better than i could myself so here we are Quote, as a result, while their minds are buzzing in this vacuum, the vacuum of, is progressivism, we've got to keep moving, we have the better chance to slip in and bend them to the action we have decided on. And great work has already been done. Once they knew that some changes were for the better and others for the worse, and others, again, indifferent, we have largely r- removed this knowledge. For the descriptive adjective unchanged, we have substituted with the emotional adjective stagnant. End quote. So you see again, like this dangerous spirit of the the same old thing would, (laughs) it's like, it's not necessarily bad to have stability, permanence, a, a rhythm. And yet to have this spirit of progressivism, all of a sudden that becomes stagnant and tired and stale and crusty. And, oh, we just need to move on. We need to find something. It's like, well, maybe we don't. (laughs) Maybe we don't. And again, I'm grateful for our faith, these unchanging truths that we can continue to fall back on, this beautiful gift of the liturgy that we can find our sense of who we are, no matter what is changing in our world, to come back to really acknowledge, yeah, 
the direction that God is bringing us to in an authentic way that is towards truth and goodness and beauty. So that was a, a longer podcast. Thanks for hanging in there. And uh, yeah, just in general, I appreciate you that you're still with us into letter 25. We just have a couple less left. So let's keep going. Let's persevere and keep praying for each other. And we'll ask St. Michael the Archangel to watch over us too. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this special podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. If you'd like to support the work of Dry Bones Ministries, please visit drybonespgh.org. God bless you all. Let's pray for one another, and I look forward to seeing you next time.